Welcome to Twice Born Podcasts. My name is Mike Bailey. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to get your feedback. And if you have any questions, please go to twiceborn.net. You can also find us on social media. I hope that you find this podcast helpful and informative. God bless. I thought eight, the chapter eight is such an amazing chapter. Uh, we have sermon-based studies if you want to dive, do a deeper dive, but we couldn't even come close to covering what is in chapter eight in a single Sunday, probably in a single year, because of how much depth God, through the Holy Spirit, used Paul to record this to the Roman church and to us today. I think this is as practical and as relevant to us today as anything that there is. Um, but we're going to look at the end of Romans chapter 8, and it deals with trusting and, and being persuaded by God. And uh, for me, uh, as I was thinking about this message and, and asking the Lord to lead and guide, um, two things really came up in my mind that I thought were helpful for me in giving clarity and renewing my mind, helping me to see clearly. Sometimes you have to go through the fog before you can see clearly. Sometimes you got to go through some darkness before you know what light looks like uh, because life has full of distractions. Life has all these different challenges. And uh, I, there was a book that I had re read when I was young and I've, I've read with my kids and we've listened to the audio book of it. It's called Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. And if you could go to the second slide there with the picture, not this one, but the next one. Uh, this is a historic book. This, if you go to a lot of the historical museums in our country, John Bunyan is, is usually, I know at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., they have a lot of information about his Bible and about him being in, in prison when he wrote this book, Pilgrim's Progress. Um, but it's a powerful book. It actually brought revival in its time. It made such an amazing impact for its time, and it really brought people to a place of repentance. But if you read the book, you find out there's quite a few characters. And I want to read through you some of the characters' names because they're interesting. The main character's name was Christian, and he was led by an individual called Evangelist. Uh, there was another friend he had called Obstinate, Pliable, Help, Worldly Wise Man, Formalist, hypocrisy, discretion, piety, prudence, charity, the interpreter, shining one, faithful, talkative, Mr. Byens, hopeful, giant despair. Have you ever met giant despair? He's not very nice. Uh, defiance, Demas, temporary, uh, Christina and Mercy were his, his wife and children. And Apollyon was the evil angel that was keeping him from getting to the kingdom. If you read the book, it's a story of Pilgrim realizing he has a burden on his back that he wants to deal with, and he's trying to get to the celestial city. It's a representation of sin in the kingdom. And as he goes, he is confronted by different groups of people. And some will encourage him to stay on the path that the evangelist pointed out to him and stay on that straight path. Uh, even when it gets difficult, even when there's arrows and things being shot at you, stay on the path. And some will say, no, take the easy way, go on this side path. And he always finds himself in trouble. He finds himself in, in, in uh, uh, the swamp of despondence. He finds himself in misery. Uh, and it really comes down to, I wish everyone's name showed their true nature. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Like if your name, if I just knew your name, I'd know if you're good or bad. <laughs> but it's not that easy, right? It's not that easy in life. But the truth is, we do have a challenge. Would you agree? Especially today. I think today is a very difficult day for young people, especially because they have YouTube, they have TikTok, they have Instagram, they have Facebook, they have Twitter. They have all of these influencers in their life that claim to know the truth and what's best for them. 
and we have a world of people saying, go this way, go that way. And if Pilgrim's Progress had a lot of characters today, there's a million times fold that number of people in your life that want to influence you in one direction or another. And the challenge becomes, and, I, and I'm sure you would agree with me, the challenge becomes is who do you, who do you listen to? Who persuades you into your faith? What do you believe? Who's right? Who's wrong? Not everyone can be right. Who do you listen to? And I truly believe for a lot of us, many of you that I know in this room grew up in the church. Um, you, you've heard these messages over and over again. But I can tell you as someone who grew up in the church too, sometimes um, people can lead you the wrong way even in church. And they can lead you into things that aren't true or or really Bible-based, Christ-centered, spirit-led. And so this morning, as we think about that, I thought back in my own ministry of times where um, I may have been deceived. I remember when I, when I was just starting out as a senior pastor, uh, 2012, 2013, and 14, uh, there was a big movement on YouTube with all of these videos about blood moons. And there were these different prophecies and things that were coming out about how the judgment was about to happen and how Jesus was coming back very, very soon. Like, not like we say it and then it could happen in a thousand years, but like, no, it's going to happen this year. Definitely no, no shadow of a doubt about it. And there was a lot of books and I had a lot of Christian friends and I had a lot of people that I trusted. They were communicating to me that they thought this was a valid thing. And I started to watch it, and I started to listen to it, and I started to research it, and I was being convinced more and more that this is the end. The, all these signs and things are coming to fulfillment, and we are in the very last days, and the trumpets are about to, to pronounce the coming of Christ, and this is it. And at the same time, I was teaching a Bible study of college-age young men that most of them were atheists. They didn't believe in God, but their family went there, so they came to the Bible study. And I started to share some of these things with them. And the time came, 2015 was when all this stuff was supposed to culminate, and uh, we were over, that was it. We weren't going to get to 2016 without, you know, the, the seven years that come after the, the rapture. And I was so certain of all these things, and I had said them with such certainty uh, to some of these young men that didn't even believe, and then it didn't happen. Have you ever had that happen to you in your life? I was so convinced, I had been so persuaded that these people that I trusted, that, that they were scholars, they were on television, they had, they had all these people following them, that it had to be true. This has to be valid. They were using Bible verses to validate what they were saying. All of these things were leading me to trust this, and then it ended up not being true. Did you know Jesus didn't come back yet? I hope you know that. <laughs> but it really taught me a valuable lesson. It taught me that I need to stop looking at other human beings and just look to the Lord. He is as clear as, as day if you read his word. You don't need extra biblical information that's sometimes sensational, sometimes over the top. Sometimes it's just used to build a crowd and to get influence and that you need discernment. I needed better discernment. And, you know, I regret that. And I apologize to that group of guys. And I said, you know what? I didn't do what I tell you to do. And that is to search the scriptures, right? And I would tell you this morning, every word I say from this pulpit, you better be looking to scripture first before you believe that, I, that what I'm saying is true. Because I am a fallible human being with error. Lots of, you talk to some people say, I have a lot of errors. <laughs> but I have error. But this word that we study and we build our life on and we are Bible-based is without error. 
And so we must trust it even over other believers who may be leaders that may be pushing something that sounds good on the surface but can be very destructive. Because if you put your trust in that and it doesn't happen, one of two things are going to happen. Either you're going to recognize it, be humbled, repent, come back to the Lord, or you're going to resist the Lord altogether. And I do not want to be the reason those young men don't go to heaven. Amen? And so this morning, I want you to be persuaded by the word of God. Not because of persuasive speech from anyone that stands here. But that the Lord has persuaded you through his Holy Spirit and through his words of what truth is. And so my question this morning is, what are you persuaded of? What are you persuaded of? What do you truly, truly believe? What have you been persuaded of? Let's ask the Lord to lead us in this conversation. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you that you are reliable. And even though we as humans have been flawed, we look through all the church history and we see a lot of messes and a lot of uh, poor decision making and a lot of hurtful things that have caused a lot of pain in a lot of people's lives. And Lord, I pray today that we would be led by your spirit, that we would be built in your word so that that would not occur that, Lord, we would follow you and be obedient to you, that your will, that as we renew our minds, that your good and perfect will would be what leads us and guides us so that we have full assurance and we are fully persuaded that you are able to do what you have said. And so, Lord, we trust you, and, Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to recognize even this challenge that we're called to live by faith and put that faith in you. Lord, we pray that you bless this time as we look to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8 and uh, verse 31 to begin with because I want to get the context here. I think it's important when you read scripture. Uh, it's helpful to know what was going on in that day and that time. Uh, Paul is writing to the Roman church. And if you know about church history or you know about the history of the world, you know that there was great persecution, especially in Rome. There were Nero's that wanted to, or Emperor Nero, there were emperors that wanted to destroy the Christian belief system, destroy this new sect of religion that they saw as an uprising. And so they did hideous, horrible things to Christians. They fed them to the lions. They used them as uh, torches. Um, they, were, they dehumanized the Christian, and they were seen as enemies of the state. And so the Christians in Rome really had a challenge in front of them. It was illegal. They could lose their job. They could lose their livelihood. They could lose everything for following Christ. And Paul is writing them a letter to encourage them. It's interesting to me that Paul wanted so desperately to get to Rome that God had given him a heart for the people of Rome, and he loved that church deeply, and he recognized the challenges that they were in. And, you know, as we see our country and where it's going, we can see that we need to solidify our faith. We may not be that far off from Rome, right? And so we need to recognize that when Paul writes this to, to the Roman church, it could just as much be to Port Orange First Baptist and to you and to me. He writes this in verse 31. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I believe this is one of those statements that God puts in his word that he wants us to say a lot out loud and say a lot in our hearts, right? Because you can find yourself in a situation where you feel overwhelmed. You can find yourself in a situation where it seems there is no hope. And you must remind yourself, if God is for me, who can be against what he's doing in me, right? There is nothing that compares to the power and authority of our king. He is the one that all else will bow down to, <laughs> right? 
Jesus said, don't be worried about who can kill the body, but be worried about the one who can kill the body and throw the soul into hell eternally. And so we, we look at this and we say, if, if God is for us, who can be against us? I believe Paul is trying to persuade or is persuading the church in the midst of challenge to have confidence. Confidence in the Lord. Not confidence in their own ability, not confidence in who they are, but in confidence who are, they are in Christ. And this morning, my encouragement, if you get nothing out of this message, I would encourage you, have confidence in your faith. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, have confidence in your faith. Don't be afraid of the world. Don't be afraid of what the world says and does. Love the world, but be confident in your faith. Be ready and in season and out of season to share the hope that lies within you. Be confident in your faith. I think if nothing else, if every week we just got together and said, let's be confident this week. Not confident that I'm a great this or that, but the one that's in me is great. And greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. I will overcome this because he is with me. And as we remind ourselves and we come back to this over and over and over again, let us be persuaded. Persuaded leads to action. Persuaded leads to things we say and things we do. When we're persuaded of something, it drastically impacts our calendar. It drastically impacts how we spend our money and our time and our energy. When we are persuaded of these things, it has an impact in our life. I think Paul wrote this because there was a challenge. There was a sense that maybe, um, maybe God can be separated from us. Maybe we can lose the love of God, or, or maybe uh, he has forgotten us in these times of trouble. And I'm certain at that time and that place, it could be easy to say to yourself, where is God in the midst of this carnage? Where is God in the midst of this disaster? Where is God in the midst of all of these horrible things that are happening to his church? And so I believe... As we continue to read Romans 8.35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? And he gives a list because I think this is the list that they struggled with. Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Paul showed that he knew who they were. He knew what they were struggling with. God, I love heaven. I love the idea of heaven. I love that you died and, and you rose again and you've given me eternal life. I love all of these things about you. But why is it so hard today? Why am I struggling with my health? Why am I struggling with my finances? Why am I struggling with the relationships in my life? Why am I struggling in all of these different areas? Here, they were struggling with the fact that the government was trying to kill them. Why do I have to live in fear? Why do I have to live in hiding? If I'm your child, why is this the case? Has your love been separated? Have you stopped loving me? You know, in our world, in our time, we, call, we say the strangest phrase I've ever heard, and I don't know how people accept it. I've fallen out of love. Right? I don't think we know the definition of love if we believe that to be true. But here they're asking that question. I've, have you fallen out of love with us, God? And they are determining their relationship with God by what's happening to them on a day-to-day -day basis. This is happening. This is happening. Obviously, God, you don't love me. And Paul knew that. And he knew that's where, the, that's where they were and that they were being persuaded. They were being persuaded that perhaps God had overlooked them or perhaps his love had moved away from them or perhaps there was something that was separating his love. 
Maybe there was something in their life that was separating the love that he had for them. And so, so God gives the answer through Paul's writing in verse 37. No. No. I want you to say that with me on the count of three. One, two, three. No. 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 Were they separated because, are you separated from God's love because of your health issues? No. Are you separated from God because of your relationship issues? No. Are you separated from God because of your financial issues? No. Stop listening to that voice, right? We are not separated from God. His love is not forgotten us. He still desperately loves us, right? And we don't judge his love by our environment. We don't judge his love by what's happening around me or even what's happening inside of me. I judge his love by what he tells me, and I trust what he says to be true. He goes on to say, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. That is a powerful list. He says everything in the past can't separate. Everything in the present can't separate. Everything in the future can't separate. Death can't separate. Whatever you think you can come up with that's going to separate us is not going to separate the love of God from you. If you're in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're in Christ Jesus, you've repented, you believe, you are his child. You cannot not be his child and claim this promise. You must become his child. You must be twice born. You must be filled with the Spirit. And once you are filled with the Spirit, you cannot be separated from that love. And I think if the church, at least in our culture, would just, like if I personally, Mike Bailey, would live every day receiving the love of God, recognized I am loved by the one who created me. And I am going to live with that truth, and I'm going to be confident about that truth, how overwhelmingly that would change the world around me. People can doubt the historicity. They can't doubt the power of today. This morning, are you persuaded that God loves you? Because that's where it starts. Have you been persuaded that God loves you? Have you been persuaded that your sin is forgiven? Have you been persuaded that God has a purpose for today? That today actually has purpose and meaning? Have you been persuaded that God desires to bring good either in this life or the life to come? Have you been persuaded that your eternity is already set? Have you been persuaded that God loves your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors, more than you love them? Have you been persuaded that God's plan is still on its path to fulfillment? What have you been persuaded of? Because I can wake up in the morning and be persuaded that this is a lousy day, there's a lousy economy, there's a lousy neighborhood, there's a lousy motorcycle driving right in front of me. <laughs> right? I can be persuaded that it's not so great. I can be persuaded that it's not so good. I can be persuaded that life is broken and I can focus on that brokenness. And this morning, Romans chapter 8, do I come back and recognize 
that I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me encourage you with something. It doesn't matter what any pastor, missionary, uh, Sunday school teacher you've ever had in your life. If they have planted a seed that God doesn't love you, you need to reject that seed and receive the truth of God's word. You need to reject anything that would tell you (laughs) that there's something that once you're his, that you can be separated from his love. Because this is what God's word says to us. We have been looking this verse by verse. We haven't uh, cherry-picked certain verses to say, here's what it says. No, this is what the Holy Spirit of God has revealed through his word for us today, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Am I persuaded of that today? This morning, we we are recognizing that God is bringing people to us as members of our church. We're recognizing in a moment that that Christ died, was buried, and rose from the grave. And he's told us to never forget that, to remember that in communion. All of these things are under the persuasion that these words are true. We wouldn't do this if we didn't believe this was true. We wouldn't try to reach kids with the good news of Jesus Christ. We wouldn't try to reach college students with the good news of Jesus Christ. We wouldn't be going uh, to homes and places where people are living and share the good news of Jesus Christ if we weren't persuaded that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I can offer that through the gospel that nothing will separate you from the love of God when you're in Christ Jesus. What an amazing message to share. This morning, if you don't know God and you don't know that he loves you, let me tell you, when, he, when you confess and believe, nothing will separate you from his love. He has gone to prepare a place for us that where he is, we may be also. He loves us desperately and desires for us to follow him. This morning, are we willing to commit to those truths. I believe there are a few things we can do today, a few things you can do right now to help us so that we can move forward together. Number one, consider what you've been persuaded of. You know, sometimes the most healthy thing you can do is say, God, search my heart and show me the truth. Show me the truth of who I am. Show me where my thinking is in error. There are times where, and I'll be listening to someone preach or I'll be listening to someone on, on the radio, and God will bring something that has nothing to do with that, what that guy's saying or that person's saying. It'll come to my mind, and God will say, here's what I want you to think about. Here's what I'm showing you today, Mike. You've thought wrong about this because you don't see me as a good God. You've thought wrongly about this because you have been deceived. You see, really part of the Christian walk is going to the Father every day and say, Father, help me to understand what your will is. Help me to know your way, your perfect will, so I can live it today. But it takes honesty. It takes you and I stopping and considering, who am I really and what do I really believe and what have I been persuaded of? I think number two, recognize the challenges. Do you realize in this room right now and all over the world right now, there's an enemy trying to keep this message from our hearts? There's an enemy that says, yeah, but. Yeah, Jesus loves you, but mm, you know what you did. You know who you are. You know who you really are. Do you realize we're in the middle of a battle at this moment, an eternal battle uh, that won't be completed until until Christ comes back? And if we don't recognize we're in a battle, we're ready to be defeated. 
If, you, if you're a soldier in the middle of the, the, the fighting and you're not prepared, you're going to be killed quickly. You'll just be laying on the ground dormant. And so we need to recognize, this is why we're told to put the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, uh, the sandals that are shod with the gospel. These are things we're told to do, the, the belt of truth. You know why? Because we're in a battle right now. You know, I've, you know, the battle I fought when I was a kid in church was I was tired and hungry. I didn't prepare myself to be trained. You know, when you go in the military uh, and they're training you at boot camp, you can't say to the instructor, well, I didn't get enough sleep last night and I haven't been eating the right stuff, um, so I'm not going to do any of the training today. Any of you in the military knows what's going to happen to you if you said that. <laughs> but we're fighting a much bigger battle even than the battles our country is fighting. We're fighting a, fighting a spiritual battle. And on Sunday morning or when you get up in the morning, whenever that time is that you commit to the Lord, it's a battle. And we've got to be prepared for that battle. And we've got to recognize that there is, this is not something uh, that the enemy is going to go away loosely and lightly and say, no big deal. There is an enemy that is fighting for you to stay in the muck and mire of sin. And it's going to convince you and convince you. And you've got to recognize that this is a battle. And you've got to confess and believe and allow the Lord to lead you. Number three, receive and believe God's love for you. We all have different relationships in our lives. And they've affected us differently. I think the relationship with the Father is such an important relationship. And sometimes our idea of love is by how humans have loved us. And that can really distort all of this talk. If you've never been loved the right way, you may see it the wrong way. And my encouragement to all of us in this room, whether you, whether you were loved well as a child or not, is to say, God, no matter what has happened in my physical flesh, I want your spirit to show me the love you have for me. I want to recognize that love. I want to embrace that love. I want to start receiving that love so I can return it to you. Because you know what God and Jesus have told us? They, they tell us this. The, the thing that they want us to do on a daily basis is to love them with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That this understanding that God loves me, therefore I can love others, is so essential to walking with Christ. It's impossible to love another human if you haven't received the love of God. It's impossible. You can like, you can do nice things, but you can't truly love until the Holy Spirit leads you there. So receiving that love, accepting that love, asking God to help you to work through those issues, all important parts of being persuaded. And then finally, re 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 <laughs> reciprocate and share that love. I put a big word there because hopefully it connects your, your attention. Return the love. Do you know the best way to feel love is to love others, right? The best way to love God is to, to love him in return. To, to, to sense his love is to give him love. It is a relationship. If, I, if there's nothing else I've been convinced of more is the Bible is about a relationship with the Father and how every day of our life we can have that relationship. Are you willing to do that today? Are you willing to put feet to your persuasion, to what you believe? And so in this moment, as we come to the table of communion, Jesus showed us that he loved us. Do you know that Jesus was persuaded that we were worthy of love? Do you know why uh, we know that he was persuaded? Because he died on a cross. He was persuaded to die on a cross 
to be dead three days and raise again. Why? Because he was persuaded you and I were worth dying for so that we could glorify him, so that we could love him. Will we be as persuaded as he is? What is keeping us from that? What is keeping me from giving everything to the Lord? What is keeping me from not asking for forgiveness in a certain area? What is keeping me from not giving forgiveness in a certain area? What is keeping me from surrendering completely to the Lord today? As we come to his table, he's an all-in God. He's an all-in Jesus. He wants us to be an all-in child of his. And so as we come to this time, just for a few moments, just talk to the Lord. Confess, any, confess sin. Receive anything that you need to receive and give whatever you need to give. So that as we come to this table, we would be in right relationship with our Father. And so for a moment, I'd ask the deacons to come forward as we prepare for communion. Let's take a moment to consider who he is and what he's done for us. Thank you.